This episode of the Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Sales Leadership United. Since 2019, Sales Leadership United has grown to become the largest collection of sales leadership assets in the world. Check out salesleadershipunited.com and tap into tools used by elite sales leaders worldwide. Accelerate your leadership development. Solve modern sales challenges. Use fully prepped sales meetings in your next team meeting. Thousands of hours of sales leadership materials indexed and searchable with a single click. Create your own personal sales leadership library. Head to salesleadershipunited.com and use the code ROB at signup to get a free trial on me. Hi, I'm Rob Jepson, and my mission is to help sales leaders everywhere create record-setting growth from the companies they lead. I'm here to share the secrets of the world's most successful sales leaders. I don't care how big the company or how big the team, we showcase sales leaders who are taking what the market gives and then some. This show features leaders of teams who are beating their markets, winning at crazy rates, and creating life-changing years for the people they lead. The Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Sales Leadership United, the world's largest collection of sales leadership assets. Be sure to check out the all-new salesleadershipunited.com. Fast-track your sales leadership development, gain insights into how other sales leaders are solving challenges similar to the ones you face, and tap into over 400 leadership topics, hundreds of video insights, battle-tested leadership frameworks, and new material that comes out every single week. Sales Leadership United is the easiest investment in yourself you'll ever make. Head to salesleadershipunited.com, use the code ROB at signup, and get a free trial on me. Now, get ready for some serious insights from sales leaders who are making it happen. And remember, don't worry, we got you. Hello, and welcome to the Sales Leadership Podcast, where high-growth sales leaders share high-growth practices and tactics. The show continues to grow so fast, and I love the DMs. Keep them coming, as I love to hear how our conversations are helping you in your career. And today, we got another great conversation for you. I'm excited to introduce Dr. Yakemi Otaro. Yakemi is the co-founder and chief growth officer for Dukaru. Dukaru helps sales organizations create ecosystems that facilitate head-turning growth with companies of all sizes. Yakemi is an award-winning entrepreneur who's not only done good in business, she just does good work. She's known for her work with women in business and is a mentor for businesswomen in the world's poorest countries. It's amazing. Yakemi is an accomplished speaker a mentor to sales leaders worldwide, and a published author. She's the chancellor at the University of the West of Scotland and has been recognized as Entrepreneur of the Year in a couple of categories at the Great British Entrepreneur Awards. I am excited to have her join us and share how elite leaders create environments where motivated team members don't just survive, they thrive. I cannot wait to get started. Yakemi, welcome to the show, and thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to this. We're going to have fun today, you come in. And, and as I got to know you uh, in preparation for this episode, I, I'm really excited for the conversation we're going to have. Uh, we got about 50,000 people listening to us today. Uh, why don't we start by introducing uh, you to them properly? Why don't you tell us about uh, Dukaru and, and what you do for your customers? 
Yeah, so we're based in Scotland and uh, we work with sales teams. And what we do is really identify any sales competency gaps that there are in the team. And sometimes it's it's an individual, so a founder, so they are the salesperson in the organization. And so what we do is identify uh, 21 core sales competencies. And then based on that, we make recommendations for how to close that gap so that that business can actually achieve the sales growth plan that they have for themselves. And those recommendations can range from coaching work, training work, developing strategy, or we say, actually, you need to hire people that have this particular sales competency because that's actually missing across your team. And if you want to grow quickly, you might not have that time to train people up to get where they need to be. So you probably need to hire someone in that already has those skills. Love it. This is going to be fun. Um, I, I I got so many things I can't wait to dive into. And, and what I really love is you're this blend of a uh, someone who's made a study of this, you're the chancellor at the University of Scotland, and uh, but you're a practitioner as well. So you're you're not an armchair quarterback who's just got these ideas <laughs> that you want to pontificate about. And there's a lot of those, right? There's a lot of those. Uh, I, I'm really excited because you are in the up to your up to your your uh, neck and working on this stuff with people every single day. So this is going to be fun. Why sales though? As you as you decided to go down this road, why sales? Yeah, it's a great question. And, you know, if I just talk a little bit about my background, which you know, yeah. won't be obvious. So I have two engineering degrees. And so I've come from a profession that really doesn't like sales. And to some degree, I think it looks down on that whole commercial group, you know, sales, marketing and so on. Um, but one of the key things I realized in, in the time I was doing engineering roles, which was about seven years, was that engineers were really clever and they had very great ideas and so on. But I found that when it came to engaging decision makers and really kind of sharing why this is important, the value proposition, they weren't always great at doing that. So I became a bit of a translator between that kind of engineering group and the commercial group. And over time, I've then gradually come into more commercial roles and now, you know, an entrepreneur doing a lot of sales work. And so yep. sales is something that I think is really important for um, well, all companies, but in particular, engineering, manufacturing, IT, you know, those kind of organizations where they have complex ideas, they do struggle to convert that into engaging value propositions. And so we've chosen sales because we see it as the lifeblood of most organizations, yet it's the least supported um, in, in a lot of companies. And so we're getting in there to be pioneers, not just in Scotland, but globally, to really yep. put our arms around that function and give them the support that they deserve. I love it. As a son of a really accomplished engineer for Hewlett Packard, we had some interesting dinnertime conversations when I would come home and visit as a salesperson versus an engineer. And you're right. Mm -hmm. There's there's a lot of, of people who do believe that you get into sales if you can't do anything else. And, exactly. um, and, and I, I I'm excited for this conversation. So is it fair to say that one of the things that you guys, your group has done is you're expert globally worldwide in helping create environments that fuel personal growth. That's kind of my notes as I was preparing. That's, mm -hmm. is that a good way of looking at it? You, you help create this world where, where people can intentionally improve and grow. Yeah, absolutely. And there's always more than one side to things. So we don't 
we don't advocate just focusing on the numbers and giving people sales targets and asking them whether they fit their numbers because that's meaningless if you haven't actually created an environment where people feel like they can grow personally and professionally or that they have um, the right tools or that they're being listened to, you know, that um, pro, um, psychological safety piece as well is, is really, really important. And so we work on both sides. And so you've got the, the training part, the coaching part, but we work really closely with business leaders, CEOs, managing directors to really help them um, support their team and provide the coaching environment that they need. So I want to sit in that before we get into some of these things that I know we're going to talk about, like psychological safety and and just the coaching, et cetera. I'm really excited about it. One of the things I think that we can talk about for a minute that we haven't ever talked about is why it's so important to create an environment that is about growth. Let me give you a reason why I say that. So as we record this, we're in November, because um, who knows when people will listen to this, right? And... Um, I have already given three sales kickoff keynotes. I got another 14 scheduled. Um, last week, I was getting ready to give one. I was sitting at a table towards the back of the room as everybody was having breakfast and stuff. And, and I had hung out with them the night before. And one of their people came and sat down by me. And he looked at me and he's like, he introduced himself. And he's like, hey, just so you know, I've been with this company for 20 years. I'm like, awesome. Congratulations. And, um, and he's like, I'm really good at what I do. He goes, and our team is really good at what we do. We are awesome at the sales thing. We've had great growth because of us. We're good. We don't really need a lot of what you have to offer is what he said. And oh, wow. um, yeah, it was interesting. And so, you know, we handled that in, in a way that I feel was good because we acknowledge that, of course, the company has good people or else you wouldn't be growing. But what was interesting to me is sometimes we get this P word, I've perfected it. That told me, and it was interesting because I was sharing it with the head of sales. He's like, do you see what I'm up against? I got people who aren't looking to grow and I'm trying to fix that. I'm trying to change that. I'm trying to modify that. And so I was thinking about our conversation that was coming up because he's like, I got to create a better environment where people say I got to grow. It's not just did I hit my number? It's, am I getting better? So that's why right. I wanted to start with creating an environment that fuels personal growth. When you start working with organizations, how do you help them create an environment where growth isn't something or improvement isn't something that's just reserved for the people who didn't hit their number? And then if you hit your goal, that will leave you alone. Anything that goes into that? Yeah. I mean, it's really tough, Rob. I'll say when you start engaging with, you know, a CEO, Within minutes, you can tell whether this is a growth-minded business, whether they've got um, a conducive kind of work environment where people thrive and grow, where people are not afraid of making mistakes. So when we have those conversations and we sense that they do have that open mind to get feedback and to try something new, then we think, right, we can absolutely work with this company. And some of the very first steps will be things that come from the top. So companies need to see or, or employees of companies need to see that their leader is growth minded that they they are always looking for opportunities to improve they've got that self awareness i think self awareness is such an underrated characteristic of someone um you know it, it i've worked with so many leaders that are not self aware and it's quite frightening when you work with someone that is not aware of the impact that they're having on other people and that everyone can always always grow and that takes really holding up a mirror 
you know, in front of yourself and going, right, what am I doing to contribute to the situation? You know, what's been my part in this problem or in this circumstance? And so the very first thing is we we provide that self-awareness, you know, right off the bat. And the great thing about the data we provide is it checks things like coachability as well. Um, so, hmm. you know, we can, we can, we can tell you if someone is coachable. And you know, some of the coaches out there might be might be wincing right now, but you know, because they tend to believe that everyone's coachable. Um, but actually what this data shows us is you might have someone who is good at what they do, but as an area you want them to improve on, because everyone's got improvement um areas that places that they can be better. If someone is not coachable, and that's kind of maybe they've got like 25% out of a hundred, it means that even if you put them through training programs and you provide coaching and you pro try to provide that awareness that the speed at which they're going to actually absorb that and implement it into their routine is gonna be really slow. They're gonna be resistant to it. And so it's really whether you accept them as they are, or you know you find a way of managing managing them away from from that from that position. So being coachable is a really really key one, and I, as I say, it always comes from the top. If if you see well, the I leader is yeah yeah. yeah. So I'm thinking about this right now. We got a whole slew of leaders worldwide listening to you right now. And some of them are gravitating to, did I hire coachable people? And then we're going to talk about how we, we find that out because there's going to be a lot of interest in that. But what I want to sit in is this concept of leaders go first. Like if you want to have an environment where people choose growth and improvement, they better see that the leader is committed to their own growth and improvement. Is that exactly, did, did, I, did I hear you say that right? Is that what I heard you Absolutely. say? Absolutely. Exactly. That's what I said. Absolutely. Any tips, any tips for the leaders on ways they might do that in a way that can be seen as genuine and authentic is, is it as simple as you better be committed to it and then share your journey or, or any, any kind of tips for, for our audience and how they might do that? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a great question. I mean, there are various ways and you said a very, you know, prominent word that is important about being authentic around it. You don't want to look like you're just putting on you know, putting on a show. And I can give right. examples from what I've done and other leaders that I respect and I see what they've done. I think one of the key things is being open open and vulnerable and being open about what you know and what you don't know. Um, and and it, sometimes it's a cultural thing. So, you know, I come from a culture where it's actually quite rare for a leader to stand up and say, I don't know the answer to that. You know, you know this, is, this is something that I'm I'm looking into, I'm, I'm talking to advisors or, you know, it's rare for people to admit that in public. Um, and I think one of the first steps for gaining that trust of your team and for them seeing that you're someone who is open to grow is that you openly admit when you don't know something and you don't kind of just kind of make it up as you go along or pretend that you know what you don't know. I think that's one of the very simple ways that you can come across as a growth-minded person, somebody who is looking to grow, admitting those mistakes and just moving past that and looking at le um, lessons learned. Also, I think leaders that surround themselves with people that are kind of you know better than them, and I know we hear that often, but what I mean is as a leader, you have a lot of responsibility. And I think as you get busier and busier, it's important that you focus your time on those things that only you can do because you've got those skill sets and you've got them um, rock solid. You're the only one that can actually do those things and everything else. Don't try to, to do those things. Don't be afraid of bringing in people who are better than you in, I don't know, finance or, or marketing. And that in itself is a sign of growth because it means that you've 
been self-aware enough to know that I'm not the best person to do the marketing stuff here. I'm not the best person to oversee the financiers. I'm going to bring in these people. Those are also signs of growth and signs um, of someone who who's who's developing and is self is self-aware. And and just for me, I'm always looking for opportunities to learn stuff. Um, just I get by nature. So for instance, when AI came kind of really emerged and came in, in January, especially with Chat GPT becoming so popular, you know, I got on a course um, and I wanted to understand how AI can power businesses. It's not an area I know much about, but I just wanted to, to have an idea so that when those AI experts or data engineers are talking about AI, I can ask intelligent questions. I wasn't gonna pretend that I know what I don't know. So my team know that I'm often looking for, for things to learn, courses to attend, and we have a list of courses that they can attend. There's somewhere they can go and see what's available, what we're supporting, and they can easily book themselves onto something and learn a new skill or improve a skill they've already got. What a great example. I love that you went to the AI because you're right. This year, AI became much more prevalent. And I work with a lot of leaders, as do you. And there's a lot that are like, I'm not sure where it fits. I love how you said, I just went to the course. I want to be able to talk intelligently about this. I, I love everything you just said. That was this is really great. This concept of, of openly admitting and surrounding yourself with people. And, and I'm, I'm talking to advisors. I'm working on this, sharing with your team, the things you're working on. Hey, AI is going to be fitting somewhere. I want to make sure that we're, we're an early understander so we can be an early adopter. Conversations like that make it safe. And so here's what you're reminding me of as I get ready to go into the meat of what we're about to talk about. You Kemi, and I'm excited. I feel like we're we're talking about being a gardener and you're creating mm -hmm. like this greenhouse where I've got the right soil. I can plant whatever I want. It doesn't have to be I'm in uh, the desert and I can only plant cactus. I can plant anything I want. And we're going to be that kind of a gardener where we'll create an environment where it's safe and friendly for any plant that we want to have so they don't just survive. They thrive. Right. And so I would imagine that like, as I'm, I'm, I'm turning our conversation into a model, like we're creating this environment that fuels growth, fuels improvement. Absolutely. And it's, it starts with, do you have that right soil? And that's what we're talking about here. Let's shift now. You've mentioned a lot of things. We've talked about self-awareness, but you've mentioned things like uh, psychological safety and coaching and a few things like that. Um, where would you, where would you go first? If we've, if we've said that the leaders create this mindset of we're here to grow what where do you go next as a person that helps leaders set up these greenhouses of growth i think one of the key things is understanding your people and having that patience and, and investing the time in getting to know the team that you have um so you know i've said growth is important but interestingly, not everyone really wants to grow or wants to grow at the same pace. And I've yeah. and I've made that mistake before where I'm thinking, oh, you know, right, we want to promote you to this role or we want to, you know, have you do this other thing. And actually, they're quite happy doing what they're doing and they're good at what they're doing. And maybe in a year, maybe in a couple of years, they'll want to move. So I think it's important as part of mapping that growth plan for your business to understand each person in your organization, understand what they want to achieve and the pace that they want to work at. Um, the other thing is to really get an understanding of how that matches with your plan for your organization, right? So, you know, you know, you have to, you have to make sure that things are leveling up. You can't come all the way down 
without the person moving a little bit upward. So there's this kind of compromise that needs to happen within that team, that team dynamic, so you can all kind of grow together. So the first thing I would say is leaders need to get an understanding of who they've, who they've got on their team. And the culture is part of that. So once you kind of decide, this is what we're about, you know, if you work here, then be expected to be challenged, to be pushed and to be presented with numerous opportunities to grow. And then as you start hiring people, you start looking for that, I guess, that DNA in those conversations um, when people are you know, coming through the door. And more and more, you begin to emphasize this culture. And you don't even as a leader have to say much anymore. The other people who work there will just by nature act that way, be that way. And people that come in will see that, oh, this is how things are done here. They grow in this business. You know, there's always opportunities to grow. I think that's a really key thing. Right. Hold on, I want to push pause. You're you're mm. you're good. You're good. You're cooking with gas right now, and I love it. But what <laughs> you just said is so important. I don't want to skip by it. One of the things that I hear a lot is this approach to personal development and this approach to coaching. You just said I got to have a plan for each person. I got to map out where they're going, and then my job is to align it on where I want to take the company. It's not the rep's job to align where they're going at this stop with how it fits the company. The leader, if you're good, you'll be an alignment specialist. Now, I've had a lot of people tell me, boy, that's I got so much to do. That's just hard to do that for every person on the team. Like this individualized approach to leading people is only if you only have like two or three, maybe four people. I, I always find that interesting. I hear that a lot, that it's really hard to have an individual plan for an individual person because there's just so yeah. much going on. When you hear that, I'm sure you have, um, your, your body language is telling me you have, okay. <laughs> Any advice to our listeners worldwide who might be thinking that as they listen to you right now? Yeah, I know how tough it is. And as a leader, I mean, I mean, we don't even have that big a team. I can understand the amount of time that it might take to to work with people in that way one-on-one -on -one and understand what they're after. Two things I would mention is one, you can get a general understanding of what motivates people. And, and part of what you see in the data we provide is we tell you how people are motivated. Each person is motivated. So you can you can get that information without necessarily having you know an hour's one-to-one -one with someone, right? So in the data that we get, we have three types of motivation. So people can be extrinsically motivated or intrinsically motivated, and we have altruistic. So with extrinsic motivation, that's people who are motivated through those material benefits. So that bonus, the commission, the high salaries, that kind of thing, and that's what motivates them. And intrinsic people are more motivated by being recognized, um, by feeling that what they bring to the table has been valued, that their opinion has been asked and implemented when they actually share their thoughts. Altruistic people are actually the smaller percentage of the group, which are people that are motivated by serving, serving others. Um, and you find these sort of people in NGOs, you know, social enterprises, charities, and so on. We've worked with people who are in for-profit organizations. And after doing this data, we find that actually altruistic, which is why you're probably struggling, some other values and ethics there is maybe just not quite in line with your, your natural, natural value. So that's the first thing, not too hard, find out what motivates people. And that will give you an idea of what kind of progression, what you need to do to get the best out of them. Okay. So I, I think like that. So you got, I want to say, I wanna, I, like, I'm sorry, you have so many good things and I know we're going <laughs> to run out of time, but I always want to go one level deeper if we can, because again, we got a lot of people that are like, okay, that makes sense. That surface value, three types of motivation. 
you need to know what they are. Uh, that's one of the things you do is you help people figure that out. And I would imagine sometimes it's more than just what they say. It's watching how they respond mm -hmm. to things. It's derived exactly. sometimes. And, and not, it's like when you ask a customer, why didn't you buy from me? And they'll always say like 99% of the time, oh, it's price. Even mm -hmm. though we both know that that probably wasn't it. I like that because if you know how they're motivated, whether it's that intrinsic or it's that that compensation or it's the altruistic, mm -hmm. that's going to give you ways to connect to people before you try to correct what's happening. Is is that why you want to do that first? Yes, yes, to really understand what drives people. I believe that in the end, the, the job people do, their role is, is really a means to an end. Um, it, I call it being able to answer the so what. So why is this person in this role? Because that role is really a vessel to help them get somewhere. And that's where this motivation plays a role because ultimately people are driven by that motivation. So it could be that someone says, this is the role I want to be in. This is where I want to develop. And then when you get to know them and you get to know what motivates them, you might find that actually, I understand the meat of why you want to do what you want to do. Here is another opportunity actually that is you know it looks a bit different the actual role might look a bit different but those things that motivate you that drive you are here as well and then people start to see the options I mean I remember as a young engineer being asked by HR and operations directors so what do you want to do what's your next role and I'm like yeah. what are the options like the, what are the options and, and 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 it was tough to see what the options were because you're limited by we know what's in front of you, but if you understand what motivates someone, then you can really start to develop them and provide options that they may not even have known existed. Yeah. Now that that's probably the title of our episode is answering. <laughs> so what for every member of your team, right? Mm. I, I love that. So as a leader, if we can do that for every member of the team, so what, why do we change this? Why do we want to do the X? Why do we want to do the Y? You know, what's the so what to get us where we want to go? I really like that perspective. The reason we need to do this is because we need to be able to answer so what. I love how you said, I don't even know what the options are, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, I think one of the great things that a leader has is the ability to help someone envision. Envision yeah. so you can then equip, right? Yeah. And um, I like that. Thank you for sharing that. Answering so what for every member of your team. Um, that, that is something that's easy to say, and it's hard to do. And I would imagine that goes down to what you prioritize as a leader. Is, is that fair? It does to some degree, but again, it's really about putting that team member, um, kind of first and then doing the yeah. you know, fitting with, with the organizational goals. Right. And that's what I'm saying that your priority as a leader, your priority is to develop people, not just to hit a number. Yeah. That's what, yeah, that's what exactly. I mean. Yeah. 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 Exactly. So I didn't say that clear enough. So I apologize for that. Um, I like that. Let's get into psychological safety for a second. I think that's a really important topic. I don't think it's one that we've talked enough about on my show. Uh, I would love to get your take on why psychological safety matters and then how do we create that inside our organizations? Yeah, psychological safety is a term I came across uh, a few years ago and it just made so much sense. And the way I describe it is it's like an unspoken contract that. I can be myself without being penalized. And I think that's really important, um, especially, you know, as we have diverse teams, teams with different backgrounds, different skill set. I think it's important that people feel like they can show up without, you know, being discriminated against or feeling like they can't speak up when they've got something to say. So 
It's Love that unspoken contract. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> unspoken contract. That I can be myself without penalties. That's how, I love that. I wrote that down. That is, that's brilliant. I love that. How, well, great. How, it, no, go ahead, please. I think that it's been such a powerful um, way for me to know if I'm in the right place, um, whether it's being part of a board, being part of, um, you know, a group of people, a network. I try to measure you know, the amount of impact I can make in that situation based on how I feel. If I feel like actually I'm accepted for who I am, my skill set, my background, my perspective, and I'm not being, I'm not going to be penalized for it. Even if I make a mistake, it's not a big deal. It doesn't exclude me. The more I feel that's the case that I'm, I'm accepted, the more impact I'm going to have, right? The more I'm going to contribute, the more passionate I'm going to feel about belonging there. What are some mistakes that leaders make that that make psychological safety go away? How do what are some mistakes that you see? Because I'm sure that there's a lot of times that leaders, I don't think any leaders want to be psychologically unsafe, right? <laughs> I, I would imagine that if we asked every one of our 50,000 listeners, you know, they would say, I want to be creating an environment where it's psychologically safe. Is there like two or three things, one or two things that you see? Hey, here's a couple of things that people do maybe unintentionally, maybe intentionally, I don't know, that we want to make sure like this should be on the stop doing this right now list. Because I would imagine that if we can get a little more safety in the environment, we'll have a little more vulnerability, and then it becomes a lot more easy to grow, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, it's a great question. And there are some things that are kind of easy and that no brainer, as they call them, and some things are less, you know, less easy to spot. I think one okay. of the most important things that I've discovered in recent times is if you have an environment where people don't feel like they can speak up, you know, people don't tell the leader the truth um, because they feel that either they're going to, you know, upset, they're going to upset the leader or things are going to get awkward or they're somehow going to be shamed. That's not a psychologically safe environment. Um, so, you know, if you're in a team and you're always, if you're a leader and you're in a team and you're always saying, you know, bring me solutions, not problems. This is something that people say all the time. I get it, but it's not accurate in terms of driving psychological safety. I think that people should be also encouraged to be kind of problem finders, um, you know, rather than just constantly problem solving, because what happens and the leaders watching this or listening to this will know what I mean. It means that people will only come to you if they've got a well thought out solution to the problem. And so what does that mean? It means that there are tons of problems going on in your business, but no one's that telling you, you about That you never them. know about, yes. You will never know about because they ain't got the solutions. So, <laughs> so they're not gonna tell you about it. <laughs> so I love so this, I love this. Yeah. yeah, this is such a good one. So I wanna translate that. I wanna take what you said. I wanna put a label on it if I can. Maybe we need to audit like, and be in, in introspective. What things are people bringing to you? So if you're a listener right now, you should be asking, what are they bringing to me? Are they only bringing like deals they need help with? Are they only bringing well thought out solutions? Are they not bringing anything else besides those? And that should be a good indicator on where you are in this world of creating a psychologically safe environment. Is, did I translate that okay? Yeah, perfect. Yeah. Exactly. I love that. That's one that a lot of people can use. Is there another one that you might have off the top of your mind or is, or is, <laughs> is that it? Like, cause this is good. Well, the other, the other thing I was going to you know, mention is if people 
are not trying new things. If people are not saying to you, um, you know, I've got this idea, can I experiment? Can I, can we try this? If people are afraid to try things because if they fail or if it doesn't work, you're going to be all over them or they're going to get fired or they're going to get booed. Then, you know, it's a problem. And I remember saying to my team a few months ago, I want more people to do stuff and me going, oh, I, you know, oh, that's new. We haven't seen that before. Stop asking for, you know, permission all the time. Just like go do, just go do stuff. Um, so if your team is not coming up and trying new things, if they're really worried something's gonna not going to work and because of that, they're not trying it or they're afraid to try it, then it might be that they don't feel psychologically safe because there's a kind of a success culture going on where people feel like, gosh, if I do that LinkedIn campaign and nobody clicks, gosh, I mean, my boss is going to fire me or, you know, if they're feeling that way, then yeah. it'll be embarrassing. Exactly. They won't let me touch anything anymore in marketing. Um, if they feel that way, then it's probably not psychologically safe for them. I love it. Those are so good. There's so many things. Those two things, you know, the, the first one we talked about, like putting an audit on that. The second one is I'm going to call it stay in your lane syndrome, right? And uh, <laughs> if people are only doing what they're told and they're not like trying, I love that. Those are both so good. Our, our listeners can do those two things for sure. And I hope that they'll take both of those uh, seriously and even discuss those with their team. And uh, and you're right. I can see how that creates an environment of psychological safety. Let's, uh, you've talked about, I'm, I, I can't believe that we're down to 20 minutes, maybe 15 minutes left. You've mentioned data many times. The data shows this, the data shows that. I really want to get your take as someone who creates psychological safety, as someone who creates an environment that fuels growth. Um, what's the role of data? Because I know that data, if all we look at is data, it's the tip of the iceberg. It's the easy thing to look mm -hmm. at sometimes because it's what's showing and the 80% that's below the surface is the root cause stuff. Maybe you can give some advice to our, our listeners. What are best practices of using data so it fuels this environment for growth rather than creates gotcha moments for the people that are receiving it? Yeah, gosh, it's such an important question, Rob. And, and, and I wouldn't say that we've nailed it 100%. What we have learned is that data is important as really some validation but absolutely look at the qualitative side as well. So that's also data. Those things that are not necessarily numbers, but are more maybe anecdotal, you know, the conversation at the water cooler and some stuff you might not know that doesn't show up in the data. I'll give a quick example. So earlier this year, we launched um, a research report called the state of sales skills in UK SMEs. And something cool. that was showing up- I want to interrupt you. Can we make the link to that in our in our uh, notes so people can grab that? I, I can't wait to link that to put it out to our listeners. I'm sorry for interrupting you. Keep going. No, no problem at all. And and what we found was many of qualitative. So we interviewed 12 business leaders in the UK and tried to understand how they identify sales skills in their organizations, how they nurture it, how they hire for it, that sort of thing. And what was showing up was that companies that were most dependent on salespeople um, to be able to meet their numbers every month. So they needed their salespeople to sell a certain amount every month to break even or make a profit. They were also least likely to put their team on sales training. 
So from a data perspective, it was like, what? That doesn't make any sense. But then when we started having converse, deeper conversations and trying to understand the rationale, which is where that kind of anecdotal conversations, what you know, gut feeling comes into play, it made so much sense. Of course, these people did not have time to put people on sales training. These people needed to be out there selling constantly. And there was a lot of pressure. So it made sense that Actually, they didn't have time to be on sales training because they needed these people to be out there selling all the time. And so with those two pieces of information, we're able to paint you know, a better picture of actually what was going on and provide far more relevant solutions. So for people listening who are thinking, right, we've got this data, make sure that you're not just depending on hard quantitative data, that you're also trying to get an idea of, of the why, the reasoning behind it. Ask people in different departments, you know, just kind of talk to John in, you know, John in customer service and talk, talk to, to, you know, Mabel in marketing, get an understanding of where it's coming from because data doesn't tell you the whole story. And that's why when we do our data, one of the first things we do is a, a 30 minute conversation with the salesperson and we say, this is some of the stuff we're seeing in your data. Does that resonate? Do you know why that would be? And then you get some backstory and you're going, oh, right, that makes a lot of sense. Oh, that's why that showed up that way. You know, sometimes people are going through a hard time and that's shown up in their motivation. Doesn't mean that they're not motivated in their job, but they've got something going on personally at home. That means that they're actually not feeling as motivated as they would normally be. But you won't see that in just the data. You'll see that if you actually speak to people. I mean, you're awesome. I love your insight. I love like the way you, you, you share this. This is... This is a, I knew that this was going to be a good conversation, but this is really, really cool. Uh, any advice? So I love how you set the stage. So I'm going to do the same thing I've done with others. Is there like a couple of things that maybe you've seen leaders do wrong with data or on the flip side, are there one or two things that are like, man, do more of this. I've seen people use data this way. Any advice to our listeners? Like here's one or two things you can do to make data be more than just a scorecard. The most satisfaction I've got from using the data is when we talk to a leader who had some kind of gut instinct, right? So like here, you know, maybe the person thinks this is going on in their business. They have this hunch, but they don't have evidence. They don't have data evidence. And then we go off and do this data thing and they and they look at it and basically they've got data proof of something they were, you know, they're suspecting was going on. They had the hunch anyway, and the data kind of, provides that validation, right? And that's a good way to use data because you know we're given instincts and perception for a reason. And then now you have the data to kind of show you that actually you're right, that's what's going on. The bad way to use data is when you use only data because then you become a robot and you, you, mm. you completely remove the emotional and human part of things. And, and that's the wrong way to use data. And there's, there can be bias in data. So we always have to double check that. And I think it's our responsibility as you know merchants of data and providers of data to make sure that we're sitting with leaders and having a conversation around this data. That's why we never just send the data. We never get the data and just email it to the, we never do that. We go, right, we've got the results now. Let me know when you've got four to five minutes to get on the call and we'll have a chat. We'll have some, ask some questions and then we'll go, oh, this is what we're seeing in the data. We show them and say, does this make sense? Where's this coming from, do you think? And have a conversation. We don't just send them the data. So it's really about using data uh, as an asset um, in addition to what you've already got. And it's those relationships with people and making sure that you're talking to people and you're not making assumptions. 
I love it. Uh, what I really like is how you've made it very clear. Data doesn't lie, but it also never tells the whole story. So we're going to use the data to say, what conversations should we be having? What, Where should we be looking below that surface? Because there, there will be some times where looking below the surface will be interesting, but not that big a deal. But there will be other times that looking under the surface could be filled with gold, treasure, whatever you want to call it, knowledge. Right. Uh, and it becomes that thing that equips, it gives us all the tools we need as a leader to, to have more impact, right? And, uh, and I, I love looking at it in the world of, no one likes to, I have a client who we've worked on with this and he, he came up with this. I got to give uh, Murat, my guy who I work with, credit for this. He said, micromanagement is a sin, but micro-awareness is a superpower. Being mm. micro-aware of the things that we want to do to get where we want to go, that's the superpower micromanagement where you just send the data and say get your shit together if you'll excuse the french is um that's a sin so i i like that any any final thoughts on best ways that leaders can use data to create this environment for personal growth yeah i think really looking at your organization and seeing where you can use data not just in the sales area but in all different parts of your organization and joining the dots because you might find that something you're seeing showing up in your IT department, actually, when you look at what's going on in, in sales or customer service, you might see connections between the two. So I think data used in isolation doesn't really work and you don't get much gains from that. But when you combine that data and you find relationships between what's going on in the different kind of teams that you're working with, the different markets, whatever it is you're doing, finding connections between the different data to tell a story rather than just taking a point and making a decision around some data point. Um, I think that's really the key to getting the most out of data. And with part of the work that I've been doing around AI with the course that I've been doing, it comes through as well. AI doesn't really work if it's just in isolation in one department and you've got some data engineers doing some stuff there. But if you're looking more company-wide and you're looking at how it can tell a story across your different departments and get that harmony um, so that you're all, as they say, singing from the same hymn sheet, that's when you get the most mileage out of data. Love it. I have one more thing I want to talk about, and then we got to give people the opportunity to learn more about you, connect to you, et cetera. But you've said it so many times. I think this is the perfect way for us to start to wrap. I can't believe that we only have like seven minutes left. I, this has gone so fast. Okay. Thank you again on behalf yes. of, a, of a lot of people around the world. I think everything you're talking about comes back to a word you've used a lot today, and that's connection. Uh, we mm -hmm. got to create connection to people not just connection to results. Like you talked about for data to work, we've got to be able to connect and tell stories. We have to have right. connection with people where we can make individual plans that get them places they want to be, not places we want them to be. We've talked about connection with people a lot. And in a world where performance creates so much pressure uh, and there's a lot of mental health challenges associated with sales because of that pressure, any advice on how do we build those kinds of connections? How do we connect before we try to correct? Yeah, gosh, that's such a great question. As you were saying that, I thought about a model that I had kind of used a few months ago around trust, right? Because people okay. connect with you if they trust you, right? Um, yes. And I think as leaders, it becomes so much harder to be trusted in this world just because of all the stuff that's gone on. And so- yes. 
yeah, yeah, it's really tough. And so um, I love acronyms, Rob. So I'm going to throw one out there. Wave. Let's go. Okay. Right. So wave. And so for leaders listening to this, I think connecting with people is about gaining trust. And so the W in wave is around words. So make sure that you are truthful in the words that you say. You know, when you say something, people need to believe that what you've said and that you're going to do what you've just said. Um, if someone says, you know, the sky is red and I look outside and it's blue, I'm looking at them puzzled. Like, why are you telling me the sky is red? It's blue. So, you know, as much as possible, make sure that those things align. And then actions, make sure that your actions um, align with your values. If people feel like there's a disconnect with how you behaved yesterday compared to how you're behaving today, then they don't trust you because it seems like you're not being authentic. It, it might seem like you're just being who you need to be in that moment. And so make sure that your actions align with, with the values that you're portraying. So if you say you love golf, then don't turn around next week and say you don't because people just get really confused. So it's the actions piece. And then the V is vulnerability. And I think I mentioned something about vulnerability earlier. Um, it's really making sure that you, and when you say vulnerability, I don't mean like, you know, cry all the time in front of your team. Right. I mean, being being honest about what you, what, um, you know, what you know and what you don't know. It means showing emotions when it's appropriate and um, so that you identify with people who can connect to you. Like, yeah, that that's a sad thing that happened. And they want to see that the leader is also feeling that that's a sad thing that happened. And I think that vulnerability makes you real, makes you a human being. And so really work to show that in whatever way feels comfortable for you. And finally, there's the E, which is the ego piece. And you, you would have met people like this where it just seems to be all about them all the time, right? It's all about them. It's all about the profit. They don't seem to really care, you know, who gets gets hurt along the way or what people need to thrive and grow. And there's this just huge ego piece where it's all about them. And so if you can conquer the wave, then people trust you and it becomes so much easier to connect with people, right? That is a beautiful way to end. Conquer the wave, surf the wave, enjoy the wave, right? Like let's let's have a wave that we can be excited about, not a wave that that breaks your board, right? Um, mm -hmm. You can me. This is awesome. How do they get more of you? Like, I'm sure there's a lot of people that will be really interested in learning more about how do you get, what do you do to help create environments like this? How do they connect to you? How do they reach out to you? How do they learn more about you and your organization? And how do they get more? Yeah, I would love to connect with anyone who's on LinkedIn. So just search for Yekemi Otaru. I'm the only Yekemi Otaru in the world, which is which is great most of the time. So feel free to connect with me there. Um, and our website is dukaru.com. And so just go on there, see a little bit more about what we do and feel free to get in touch. I would love to hear from your listeners, Rob. And I will put, we will make sure that the links to your LinkedIn, to your website and to that study are in our show notes to make it really, yes. really easy. Just look at the show notes, click on the link. And and, and my advice is uh, take the time and, and connect to Yukemi. Yukemi, I, I can't believe how fast the time has gone. we got like one or two minutes. This has been a killer, killer conversation. You've made me think a lot. There's a lot of people that will benefit from the things we discussed. If we were to give you a two or three final minutes, like if you were going to have a final thought to put a bow on what we just talked about, what, what, any final thoughts to 50,000 leaders all around the world that are right now trying to figure out how do we grow instead of just grind? 
Yeah, gosh. I mean, being a leader is tough. I think that's probably the main thing I want to say. It is tough. And there are a lot of things about, you know, being a leader where it's like, oh, you must do this. You should do that. And I think leaders should look after themselves, make the data your friend, you know, allow it to validate, prove or disprove things that you want to do in your organization and, and be there to empower your team. You know, your team is really the backbone of your organization. And so in any way that data can support that, do use data in that way. Um, psychological safety goes both ways. I think if you have a psychologically safe environment for your team, you yourself can sleep better at night as a leader because you know that you are nurturing you know, people to do well. And, and that in turn gives a lot of satisfaction as a leader. So just a huge pat on the back to all the leaders out there because I don't think we often, we often do that for leaders. And I think they are often in, in, in a tough position. I love it. I love it. Her name is Yukemi Ataro. She's one of the founders of Dukaro. She's she's an awesome leader. I, I can't tell you how much I enjoyed this conversation. One of the things that I wrote down in, in what's two pages of notes from our conversation here, be sure you're the leader who can connect before you correct. Be sure you're the leader who can answer the so what questions. If you can answer so what in the short and long-term moments of the lives and careers of those you lead, you won't just help them get through the moment. You'll become legendary and elite mm -hmm. in the lives and careers of those fortunate enough to work with you. So Yukemi, on behalf of 50,000 people worldwide, thank you so much for joining us. I wish you only the best. And as I say to everyone, happy selling. Thank you. Thank you so much, Rob. Hey everyone, welcome to another So What portion of the Sales Leadership Podcast where we break down that interview and we ask ourselves, why did that conversation even matter? But first, this episode is brought to you by Sales Leadership United. Since 2019, Sales Leadership United has lived on Patreon and has grown to be the largest collection of sales leadership assets in the world. And I could not be more excited to announce that Sales Leadership United now has its own home. We've moved off of Patreon, and you can find us at www.salesleadershipunited.com. Listen, I coach over 100 sales leaders. They're in big companies. They're in new companies. They're in every industry that matters. I'm talking about people that are new to leadership, new to their companies, and people that have been in their seats for a long time. In fact, I work with some of the most seasoned sales leaders in the world. Every single one of them wants more tools. They want more insights. They want more perspective. They ask me questions like, how do I create systems? How do I create foundations? How do we create change? How do we coach? How do we lead up, manage up? How do we collect, connect to a totally different generation? But the number one question we get, what are other leaders like me doing to solve problems like the ones I'm facing right now? And that's why you want to check out Sales Leadership United. Tools, trainings, techniques, perspectives that come from the benefit of thousands of hours with other leaders from all around the world. If you haven't checked out Sales Leadership United, head to salesleadershipunited.com and use the code ROB to get a free trial on me. Now, Yakemi, I love the work she's doing. The work that they're doing is so important right now. They're attacking what might be the most challenging question in sales, and that's, are we getting better? How do we create environments that fuel growth? How do we do more than just push that infamous more button? And if you can see me, I'm pretending to push that button with a big label on it that says more. Because every year in, as a sales organization, we're asked to engineer the greatest year in company history, but we're asked to do it every single year. And so 
the culture that we create is our responsibility as leaders. There are a lot of ways to create influence on people. How we choose to do it will play a big role in the success that we ultimately have as leaders. And that's why I'm so glad we discussed psychological safety as part of this discussion. Because I've learned there are a ton of ways to make a point. Tons of ways to get attention of those that we lead and those all around us. And too often, we create unnecessary collateral damage when we do. My mentor once said it like this, we got to learn how to make a point without making an enemy. We have to help people learn to choose growth rather than just demand that they grind. And when I say that, I'm not saying that we don't have to work hard because we do. Effort is a huge catalyst for our success. But what I'm saying is we got to help people get better to intentionally improve. And psychological safety, that's going to help us. In fact, I don't think you can accomplish it without psychological safety. Like I said, I work with tons of leaders right now. And, and when I start with a sales leader, I always start with their sales leadership philosophy. The first part in getting someone's sales uh, leadership philosophy figured out is to get their purpose statement. What is your purpose as a leader? If you don't have something that lights you on fire, that makes the hair stand up on the back of your neck, we got to go back to the drawing board. And one of the people I was working with, she's a fantastic leader. Um, I was working with her and we... We got to a point where her, her purpose included a statement around creating well-lit pathways to success for each member of her team. And it was really cool as I was working with her on this, I thought about this conversation I had with Yakemi um, because we talked about this idea of well-lit pathways to success. Here's some interesting, relatively new data. Over 70% of workers in the world are, are reporting that they are unsure of the direction their companies have and what their individual role is in helping get there. And really what we're talking about here is clarity. Clarity is the catalyst of speed, and, and speed is required to have massive success. On the flip side, ambiguity is the enemy of speed. And if you're not creating clear pathways to success, then your team is driving in the fog. Listen, I found that five things happen when your team doesn't have well-lit pathways to success. The first one, it starts with the slowing of production. And then the fifth one, the last one, it, it finishes with disengagement. And over 80% of, of people right now are reporting that they are disengaged or in the process of disengaging. It's because things are hard. And this is why creating an environment that fuels growth is so very, very important. Because you need to place them in an environment where they can thrive, not just survive. And we got to remember that talent is a gift, but growth, now that's a choice. So we got to act like we're gardeners. We got to plant plants in there in, in our greenhouse and give that plant an environment that if it choose to, chooses to, it can thrive. So I want you right now as we finish this to think about the environment you're building. What is your environment built on? What behaviors exist? Does your environment promote growth? What kind of soil are you putting your reps in? How are you fertilizing them? How are you watering them? How are you weeding when the bad things pop in? How are you making sure they get the right amount of sunlight? Or are you just on the sideline as one of those leaders that's just demanding growth? Do it or else. I hope today you'll reconsider how you create an environment where it's okay to be a work in progress, where you're chasing specific areas of growth. I hope you're working hard to understand your people, understand what they want, understand why they want it. And then I hope you help them sign up for growth. Yakemi, 
Thank you so much for joining me. Congrats on your success, and I'm excited to watch your company grow. I appreciate you sharing your perspective on being intentional about creating environments that foster growth. Congrats on your success, and I cannot wait to see the impact you create with companies all around the world. My advice, follow Yukemi. Reach out to her. Connect. You'll find she's an incredible resource, and you're going to find that there's going to be lots more great things coming from her. And be sure to check out Sales Leadership United to get video segments of the highlights of my conversation with, with Yukemi and hundreds of other amazing guests on the show. I will have several clips that will be huge leadership resources for you. You will want to use them for sure. Finally, thanks to each of you, our listeners. The greatest compliment I ever get is when I find that someone shared the show with someone they worked with. Introduce your colleagues to the Sales Leadership Podcast. If you're comfortable, leave us a review on iTunes, and you can support the show by checking out Sales Leadership United. Head to salesleadershipunited.com and check it out. You'll be glad you did. Thank you for your ongoing support of the Sales Leadership Podcast. Our job as sales leaders is to create life-changing years for the people we lead. If you liked this message, please share it this week with someone who needs to hear it, and then get after it, because life is short. We've got no guarantee of what comes tomorrow. Maximize what we do today, be elite, live strong, and chase your passions, and do your best work so you can live your best life. And don't ever forget, you got this, and we got you. Have a terrific week. Thank you so much for joining the Sales Leadership Podcast, the award-winning sales leadership podcast for those sales leaders looking to create legendary impact to those they lead. The greatest compliment you can give is to share this show and any of your favorite episodes with your fellow sales leaders, social media followers, or other communities you're part of. The Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by the Jepson Performance Group. If you want to discuss any of the topics discussed on the show, want to level up your leadership impact, discuss executive coaching services, or even include me at an upcoming event, hit me up at rob at jetpg.com. That's rob at jeppg.com. And to those of you working to become a legendary sales leader, I salute you and wish you much success on your journey. Whenever you need someone in your corner, you know where to find me.